Welcome everyone to another episode of The Secret Origins of Big Condition and another trip to the corner, Joe's Comic Corner. I'm your host, Joe, and joining me today is my longtime friend, frequent guest of the podcast, and naturally friend of the uh, friend of this endeavor to recreate Mid Condition Comics digitally, Richie Garofalo. How you doing, Rich? Hi, very good. How you doing, Joe, and everybody else out there? We're doing okay. We're hoping that our um, our um, uh, you know uh, mechanical and uh, digital expertise does not uh, leave us as we <laughs> but as we uh, saunter on through this uh, podcast. So. Um, so today, folks, uh, Rich and I are returning to the to, to the uh, age, the Silver Age of comics. Unfortunately, I was unable to pr- procure a Legion time bubble to make the trip easier on the two of us. So um, I think we'll get by on our memory. I think that's uh, we can do that. Uh, as wishful we, thinking. Yeah, yeah, wishful thinking. As we make this excursion back to those thrilling days of yesteryear, Rich. So, Rich, b- before we get to the specifics of the books we want to talk about, I thought we'd get into you know the big picture, the Silver Age. You know, we'll we'll talk about this uh, for a few minutes. Rich, what was the significance, the historical significance of the Silver Age of comics? Well, well, (laughs) I can just speak for myself. And the Silver Age of comics was um, my journey into the comic book industry. And um, I was young, believe it or not. And um, (laughs) it was a time of innocence, both for me as uh, a 10-year-old, maybe even earlier, a time of innocence for the comics as well. Yes. So, um, I mean, it, it was, there were short stories. They managed to tell a story in anywhere from 10 pages to 22 or 24 pages, depending mm-hmm. on what's a full-length uh, feature in a comic. They um, called them full-length novels, right? Back in the day? Novel, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was great. You know, I, I – for the time and growing up in comics, I think both of us got to see and read the comics progress along with our age. You know, um, they weren't they weren't dumbing down as time went on. Even during this silver age, we had um, a rebirth, you would say, right? Yeah, sure. Um, all a lot of the characters from the golden age um, were, yeah. Well, I don't More know what they, they, yeah. new new characters um jay garrett became uh was the flash and then barry allen becomes the flash and then you had uh alan scott and uh as green lantern and then uh you've got yep so you know you've got um all this kind of stuff going on and it was just it was a great time i should say today folks that while this we're diving deep diving into the silver age we're going to be mostly concentrating on on dc i'm sure at some point Marvel will enter the equation. Uh, it's possible. But uh, what Richie just said, uh, you know, brings to mind the whole legacy aspect of DC Comics. Uh, Alan Scott kind of passing the torch to Hal Jordan, Garrick kind of passing the torch to Barry Allen, even though those characters were brought back in, in Justice League of America, or the JSA, right? Yeah. So, but there was still that, that as you said, Rich, that, um, you know, that rebirth. And we're not going to go into the whole um, origin of the Silver Age, which happened somewhere in the mid-50s. It's debatable. You know, most people assume it's, it's um, showcase number four, the introduction of Barry Allen. But that's been covered before, and I don't think we want to go into that. So, uh, Rich, do you remember your first comic, buying your first Silver Age comic, what, what it was and, and, where, and where you might have been when you bought it? Because I remember those things. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- this is the memory I have. And it is um, my father buying the comic. Oh, that's cool. Uh, and um, which he apparently got me the giant size Superman annual, which was 25 cents as opposed wow. to the 10 or 12 cent 
issues that were going on. That was half my weekly allowance, 25 cents. Was that? <laughs> that was half my weekly allowance, 25 oh, cents. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and uh, you could buy a loaf of bread for that. You yeah, know? right. Um, in fact, I used to go down to the local bakery and buy a loaf of bread for actually 26 cents. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. so the comic was a bargain. Um, <laughs> but it was uh, Giant Size Superman Annual number seven. I was, pro I was 10 years old. And uh, I believe he got it for us because we were visiting somebody in the hospital and kids weren't allowed to go into the hospital. So he got us comics to read while we were waiting in the car. Of course, I'm sure the window was open a crack and uh, <laughs> yes, and really safe and, and whatnot. But um, yeah, that that's my recollection. And then the the, the one story, Superman, um, Superman Junior, was my favorite in that collection because the annuals would bring back old stories yeah. from the past in a big collection. Yeah, I love those annuals as a kid. Yeah, um, yeah my first, you know. Well, I, I, we've spoke about this before, how we came to comics via two television shows, The Adventures of Superman and, and the Adam West Batman. Right. And, and I didn't even know comics existed when I was like eight years old. I was just watching Superman on WPIX. When Batman came around in January 66, that's when I, you know, uh, I understood the whole, the whole uh, meaning of comic books, the, his, the you know, a bit of the history behind them and how they, how these these characters were adapted from the comic books. And so I went out and I bought a Batman comic book and I bought a Superman comic book after shortly after seeing that show in the spring of, um, of 66 Superman 189 and Batman number 183, which was the second appearance of poison Ivy. Oh. And, and since then I, I, I do have 181 at 182 was, it was an annual. And I remember buying that 189 Superman and that 183 Batman. I went back to the, to the uh, card store in the corner of Cleveland and Fulton a few days later to look for more comics. And there was last month's issue of Superman number 188 was still sitting there. And there was a Batman annual, uh, 182 for a quarter. So, I said, Oh my God, that's 20, that's a quarter. And that's 27 cents. I got, I think I got enough money and I did. And I, I picked them up and of course ran home and read those like I read the other two. And that was the beginning of a lifelong love affair. Yeah. So, you know, Superman and Batman, man, from the get go. So yeah. yeah. That's great. You know, um, I would go down. We lived three blocks away from uh, the train station in Port Washington, mm -hmm. um, where there is currently a Starbucks used to be commuter stationery store. I remember, and yeah. that's where I would routinely go and get my comics. And uh, usually my allowance <laughs> didn't cover what I wanted to get. So it was usually collecting bottles. Yep. Yep. Bottles construction sites and stuff. And uh, there was a, um, a deli. The, at the other end of the block mm -hmm. um, that we would go and exchange our bottles and get the cash and then go the other end of the block to commuter stationery to, to get our comics. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, my 50 cents a week allowance plus all the bottles I could, I could cash in plus any odd jobs, you know, around the neighborhood, go down the block. So-and-so needs the, the, the front yard sweeped out. They'll give you a quarter. Okay. <laughs> that, yeah. that type of stuff. There was no lawns. There was no lawns to be mowed in East New York, Brooklyn. Everything was concrete. <laughs> so well, I did, I did get to rake leaves and cut an occasional lawn. Oh, I did rake leaves. We had trees on the block that we did. We did. Yeah. That's how you, that's how you supported your, uh, your hobby, your, your habit that it, this eventually became right. Whereas we yep. were children. So that's our, that's a, a one, a one question. Uh, when you, Bought your comics, were they on a spinner rack or were they on a, one of those big, you know, magazine walls? Because I, I bought my comics from both both those type of um, 
venues? It was, it was both. Um, I'm going to say in the beginning, it was on uh, the magazine wall. Mm-hmm. And soon after, it was on uh, Turnstile. And remember the magazine wall, uh, uh, Rich, that had you had to sometimes search. It really was a tough find. You knew that you knew there was an issue of Superman out that you wanted to get, and it could be hiding behind other things like a Saturday evening post or something like that. Or yeah. you had to just root yeah. around to find the book. That was kind of cool, actually. It was. But it, uh, it, uh, commuters, they were pretty good about um, keeping they, – they got a fair amount of comics out. It was a rare occasion when I missed out. I don't know – how I knew when they were coming out, but I think I probably went there every day to make sure. That's what I did. Yeah. And then, then eventually did DC did those direct currents that, you know, kind of like they were copying Marvel's uh, bullpen page. And uh, unlike Marvel, Marvel would tell you what's coming out, but they wouldn't give you an on sale date. DC would actually give you an on sale date. So I would mark it on a little calendar, you know, when I was 10 or 11 years old, the new action. Well, I I also knew that every month, like, like, like clockwork, Action comics, detective comics, and adventure comics would come out because they were the only monthlies right. of the superhero genre that DC was publishing. Everything else was bi-monthly or eight or nine times a year. So that was my mantra, action, detective, adventure. And that's why Superman, Batman, and the Legion of Superheroes became my favorites from that era and still to this day. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Adventure, um, well, action, adventure. I'll probably say, you know, the way they, they would – flip-flop occasionally but um between action and adventure um i really really enjoyed it. i was i like batman chris sorry not as enthusiastic about it as you are but, um, <laughs> you know it was uh superman and then the legion of superheroes i mean they were, yeah. they were kids like me as far as i was concerned you know it was it was great to um you know well, to be able to read that be a part of that world oh yeah and like I had said on a previous podcast, I looked up to the Legion because they were they were they were uh, nice teenagers. Unlike my brother and his friends who used to steal our, our our lunch money and hang us upside down and things like that and beat the crap out of us in stickball. So the Legion was, was like, why can't teenagers be like this? Right. So, <laughs> so that's why I, I, gra- I think I gravitated towards the Legion of Superheroes. But um, yeah, I, when I first started reading, if Superman or Batman. Or Superboy wasn't on the cover. I wasn't buying the book. And then I said, what? And then I saw that Flash 163. Stop. Don't pass up this cover. If you do, I will die. And uh, that was it. And the floodgates just opened up, Rich. Just right. opened up. I can imagine. I mean, I, that you know, I was going to the newsstand. And uh, I had been already going for probably a couple of years at that point. So, yeah, it was. they had a lot of really neat covers that uh, grabbed you. No doubt about it. Well, that that was a big thing with the Silver Age. You, you, you know, I'm sure it was a big thing. Obviously, in the Golden Age too. The cover had to grab you because that's how they sold the comic book yeah. they, by the cover. I mean, DC would would do a cover first and then hand it off to a writer and say, "All right, now write the story." You know, that's oh, really uh, I didn't know that. A lot of that was done. Even Julie Schwartz's office. Yeah, they would they would sit down, have a confab. Uh, he would Carmen Infantino would design a cover, give it to Julie, and then Julie would uh, you know go to one of his writers. Uh, John Broom, Gardner Fox, whomever, uh, you know, and say, so, all right, now we need to write a, you know, a, a story to, around this cover. So many of the comics were, were, were plotted that way or originated that way. It's a really cool idea. And, and of course, DC loved to put dinosaurs and apes on their covers. Yes. <laughs> and they, they sold the covers. It's all the comics. Yeah. The Silver Age, uh, and you had hit that this, you had said this earlier, uh, 
that there, it was a, a rebirth. And there were things happening in the Silver Age. And we know what was going on for at Marvel, where Stan was trying to create the world outside your window and shooting for a, an older audience. I don't think DC gets enough credit. They, they were still doing, they were still aiming at a, at a younger audience. But one of the books I want to talk about today, I think, uh, written by uh, a very young Jim Shooter, I think was the first attempt, one of the earliest attempts of DC Comics to maybe court an older audience and to come up with, you know, a different narrative style. So the first book I want to talk about is Action Comics 340, which is the first appearance of the of the Parasite, Rich. Yeah. I and mean, that, that, yeah. I remember that one. I mean, in fact, you, you know, I'm selling my collection. That's That was a keeper for me. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, you know, depending on what, where you go, Mile High Comics or uh, mycomics.com. If you've got one in high grade, this book can go between two and three thousand uh, dollars. I know, I know, mine's not like that. <laughs> well, looking at mine right now, it's a, I, I grade it as a fine to a very fine, but I think I'm too liberal in my grading, so it's probably just a fine plus or maybe just a fine. But it's a nice copy. It's not the original, by the way. It's uh, not your original. No, I kept only one original, Rich. When when I had my condition. And oh, by the way, folks, if you, you don't know, Richie, of course, was the uh, was was a, an owner of Mint Condition Comics, and and Rich inherited it from the grocers and and then established a foundation and a footprint that lasts till this day in, in Port Washington. So we are all very very grateful to Rich's contribution to Mint Condition. So just to get out of the way, Rich. I know. <laughs> and uh, but Rich, when I had the store, I brought in my all my original. Silver Age books, which were all like in VG or less, because you know who the hell knew to keep comic books in good condition? Exactly, ten year old, right? Yeah, yeah. And I sold rolled them. up in my back pocket. Yeah, you usually roll them up in your back pocket and go and play stickball and and slide in the street, which we used to do. We said, "Slide, it's concrete, slide." All right, <laughs> you get up with a big cherry on your leg. Yeah, but uh, you know, I did keep Superman one eighty nine. I still have that. That's like a VG minus because I must have read it a thousand times, and I I, I uh, re you know, of course, I replaced that. But all the other ones I did, um, a lot of the other ones I did replace. Uh -huh. uh, but not all. I'd say I replaced about 50% and still have a lot of the uh, the originals. But this particular book was written by Jim Shooter, uh, who, had, you know, at a very early age was working for Mort Weisinger. Like, I think at 14, he sold his first. Uh, really? Yeah, I got, some, I got some flashbacks here. Let's see. Jim Shooter, born in September 27, 1951 sold a script to Mort Weisinger at age of 14. It was just a few few days short of being 15 for Rich, Adventure Comics 346. And if you remember that book, that's the introduction of Feral Lad, Karate Kid, and Princess Projector. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah I, I was, I mean, I just discovered since you contacted me, um, I mean, I didn't even realize, uh, DC, DC never told you who was writing the no, book. No, no. I was surprised to see... Uh, Jim Shooter on there, and he yeah. was, um, yeah, those uh, three fifty two and three fifty three with. Well, that's the story of um, the Fatal Five and Feral yeah. and all that. You, well, yeah, he created the Fatal Five. That's his. That's his creation. Yeah, yeah. And and, and, and so this book was nineteen sixty six. So he's you know the guy is uh, August sixty six. He was so he's just shy of his sixteenth uh, fifteenth uh, uh, yeah. birthday here, and it's, and it's like. And, and I read that he, he had said years later that he wanted to bring a different narrative style to DC that mirrored Marvel comics. And if you read this story, and I read the story this morning, there's real stakes in this story because 
the parasite who, you know, it's not Rudy Jones from the cartoons. It's some guy named Jensen, some crook working at the um, the nuclear regulatory lab. And he peeks into the box of waste that Superman um, threw in there after his experiment. And he's transformed into the parasite. And he realizes he can suck the life out of other, other people around him. And, well, I'm going to go for the big, the big dog. I'm going to suck out Superman's powers and become immortal. Two things happened in this book. And I would dare say, I, I can't prove this, but because I don't have enough golden age materials, very little, but I would dare say this is the first gigantic slugfest that Superman ever got involved in, in his, in his long history at this point. There's like, like six or seven pages of just Superman and Parasite well, slugging it out. Yeah, I, I, was, I had pulled the book out and yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah, it's it's very much a Spider-Man comic book, and as Superman is getting beaten, and as he's the the parasites beating him down, and parasites going, "What? Well, I can't! I, I'm sucking this guy's life energy," but he keeps getting up, he keeps coming back, and Superman going, like, saying, "I've got to get up. You know, if I if I lose this fight, what's going to happen to the Metropolis, the world? Lois Lane, of course, is there in trouble, obviously. So um, it's it. When I was reading this this morning, it, it to me it read like a a Stanley. John Romita Spider-Man comic book of that yeah. era. It really did. And, and I think this is a, the, one of the earliest narrative transformations, if that, that's the right phrase, for DC Comics by employing this young, this young writer. And he brought some he brought action. And re you really thought Superman might not survive this battle. I did right. as a 10-year-old. <laughs> what the hell did I know, right? So, yeah, great, great comic book. Yeah, it really was. It really was. In fact, um, when I was going through it, I recognize one of the panels of Superman um, scooping up Lois and punching Parasite at the same time. Yeah, I, I had redrawn that. Oh, you did? Because I used to, I used to draw the comics all the time, mm -hmm. and um, actually, as long as we're we're talking about art and drawing, this one has a great pinup of Superman. Yes, a Kurt Swan yeah. uh, ink by George Klein pinup. Yeah, I remember the original book I had. I took it out and put it on the wall. I slipped it back into it when I sold it in condition, Eldridge. I did. Oh, okay. I, I didn't sell it, even though the book was beat up and dogged. I did not sell it without the pinup. I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that to our customers. I, you know, I, I would. I would never live it down, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so I, I did. I did sell the book as whole, although it. I and I, I did try restapling it, which is a mistake. Obviously, should never do that. No. You know, no. And mine's still mine's still intact. Yeah, good. That's great to hear. So. But um, I would say it's still probably uh, GVG. Yo, good, good, okay. All right. Well, you know, again, if you go to Mile High Comics, they're probably selling that as a, a G for like probably $1,500. These people are crazy over there. Really? They got the right They got the right name in there for the mile. Yeah. Mile high, right? Because their prices are mile high. I always go to mycomicshop.com and their, their prices are, are, are seem realistic. As, the po as opposed to uh, Mile High or even Metropolis Comics right here in the city. But, yeah, uh, and, and um, I think Steve, um, Steve, Steve, Perel? Steve Perel sold some stuff through um, My Comics, which I think is Lone Star Comics. Mm -hmm. Don't quote me on it. When, when I'm on eBay and I'm checking, he always, they always seem to get a little bit more for their listed books um on ebay than other people i'm talking but, about stuff that they sell actually sell there's you know people put things in there for some exorbitant fee and you know they're not selling it to right. anybody um but uh when it 
come we're going off track here but yeah i know well, let's my just, comics, let's just my comics seem to have a, a good reputation and and people buy uh pay a little bit more for their um for comics that they uh sell no that's true i i, I recently picked up a copy uh, two weeks ago of uh strange adventures number 94 which is uh, this is after Carmen and Fantino and uh, Gardner Fox left Adam Strange, but it's an Adam Strange Space Ranger team up, and I didn't have it in my collection, so I wanted to read oh. it. And yeah. it was uh, for eleven dollars. I got a VG copy, and I must say, their idea of VG is my idea of fine plus. So that's why I think I might have to go back and, and uh, <laughs> you know, recalibrate my uh, uh, my comic book uh, grading system. But uh, you're right. We've, we've, we've as usual we go off tangent, but. Um, is there anything, um, another book that you want to talk about, Rich? Another, uh, I know you, you sent me some things offline about first, uh, first meetings and first appearances. Should we well, yeah, because yeah. you, um, you had also brought up something about um, Superboy and uh, Bruce Wayne getting together. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it was an imagine. yours was an imaginary story. Right, yeah, I'll get to that later. That's the world's finest story. We can get to that. Right, later. and mine, mine was, that's right, world's finest. Um mm -hmm. Mine came, actually, um, I got this comic a little later on, but it was in that first issue that I ever had, which was the Giant Size Superman. It was also in there, the origin of, of the Superman-Batman team. Um, and, you know, it's just, this was, uh, well, I'm, this, the Legion was around, but this was um, probably, uh, so this is uh, Adventure Comics. 275. Yeah, I got a copy right in front of me right now. I'm looking at it yeah. as you're talking about it. And yeah. it's, uh, what is it, 1960. And you've got uh, Superman and Batman sh revealing their um, their secret identities to each mm -hmm. other. And then uh, you've got uh, you've got Superboy and Bruce Wayne looking at their <laughs> <laughs> the telescope that looks into the future. Yeah, well, they had all that. I mean, Superboy was a, you know what? I think he got dumber as he got older. But because Superboy had had cooler stuff than Superman, I think he really as, as a teenager he he was incredible. I know. I Obviously, know. when he became a man, he was too preoccupied with Lois, and you know he had other things on his mind. <laughs> but Superboy was just straight on genius at this point. Yeah, I know it's it's incredible. But then Bruce would come into the into the picture, and and um, he seemed to be even more um, uh, brilliant uh, than yeah. than Superboy was. So you know they it. And, uh, you know, pre and in this issue, um, as we discussed, um, they actually, um, Superboy remembers uh, some issues earlier where uh, Robin came back from the future. Adventure and, Comics 253, yeah. And they got to meet each other. Superboy meets uh, Robin. I have that in my hand right now as you're talking about it. <laughs> yeah. So it's, and, then, and then the other one, um, when you talk about them meeting people in the, uh, in, from their future, Lois Lane meets Superboy, Adventure Comics two sixty one. Ah, uh, yeah, that's and Lana's smacking him over the head with a, uh, a yeah. picture frame, and Lois is trying to hit him with a with a with a, with a tennis racket. <laughs> He's just, <laughs> you know, John Byrne kind of recreated this cover in his run uh, on Superman, but it was think, yeah, 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 I remember that. So yeah, it was it was an homage to this cover. I wish I, I should have pulled that book out, but I, I just thought of it now. But uh, and all these covers are, are done by the, the great Kurt Swan, right? Who uh, who is you know the would would you? I mean, is this is this hyperbole? I don't think it is, but it, it's is it fair to say that he is the greatest Superman artist of all time? Yes, Kurt Swan. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I, yeah, 
Um, I, I think Superman and hit, you know, and, uh, Kurt Swan, you know, they, they go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, but I, I always enjoyed, uh, Kurt Swan, uh, Legion of Superheroes oh, yes. or, um, Batman, okay, um, very rarely, but um, well, in, in World's Finest, uh, yeah. most of those were right. Kurt Swan. Sometimes they'd slip in an Al Plastino, but most of them were, were, were Kurt Swan. Yes. So I always enjoyed those, um, and I liked his early artwork. It was was simple, clean. Yeah. Um, but you know that goes for me for almost all the um, comics. And don't get me wrong, I thoroughly enjoy. Um, well. My my time frame in uh, Mint and your time frame in Mint, there was still um, some great artists, and uh, you know I, I just haven't been following it lately. But um, I I can go for the one with the details. Oh, you know it's funny. Neil Adams at first, I was eh, I'm not sure, but um, well, it didn't take long for him to grow on me. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up because do you remember Rich when um, I almost called you Chris again? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> That's right. I called Chris James the other night. <laughs> uh, we have an excuse. We were born, we were born in the fifties. But um, what I was going to say, uh, yeah. Do you remember when DC started um, producing those Neil Adams covers? How jarring that was! Oh yeah. He's Superman as opposed to Kurt Swan. I didn't like it at first. Right. I didn't like it at all. Yeah. And, Batman. Uh, Batman. It didn't bother me quite as much, but still, in the in the very beginning. It bothered me, and uh, Superman in the beginning, yeah. Um, wh where's Kurt Swan? You know, um, mm -hmm. but um, again, it grew on me. And uh, I mean, his Superman uh, and Muhammad Ali. Uh, uh, he he considers that his finest work, and and some people consider that one of the greatest comic books ever produced. I, I have the original and the hardcover, and I, I love it. Oh yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. great great story and that a great a, comic book. Yeah, yeah. That was a that's uh, that's a Bronze Age book, right, Rich? Would that be considered? Bronze I Age? would say, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Neil Adams, I think, you know, touched, you know, the the silver, the end of the Silver Age. Yeah, yeah, um, I would agree with that. And and this is what we, you know, we were alluding to earlier, that things were happening at DC not as quickly as, as Marvel, but by bringing in a Jim Shooter and a Neil Adams, and let's see, a very young Marv Wolfman was writing a couple of issues of Black Hawk at the end of the sixties and uh, Carrie Bates was a, a teenage writer working from Walt Weisinger on Superman and the Legion of superheroes also. Oh really? So, yeah. So there was, there, there was young blood coming in and then boom, just around 1970, you get Len Wein, you get uh, Bernie Wrightson, uh, of course, uh, Jerry Conway over at Marvel is you know, a whole flood of people at Marvel. Right. Right. But, but, but there was movement and rebirth at DC at the end of the silver age. Oh, and yeah. and uh, because most people they say that 1970 is the beginning of the Bronze Age with Conan number one. Again, that's it could be discussed in another maybe another comics corner. We could discuss how these ages work and you know where they begin and end. But that's a, that's above our pay grade, I think. Above my above my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so yeah, I mean Neil Adams was was so instrumental in in in, in bringing a close to the Silver Age of DC and pushing them into the you know, into the future, I think. Yeah. Very yeah. instrumental. What, what other books do you have about, um, you sent me some other ones, you, you, you covers of uh, adventure comics. Wow. The other adventure comics now would include um, the Legion of Superheroes mm -hmm. and um, two series, uh, uh, two storylines um, I really enjoyed. And one was uh, 
featured Starfinger, who turned uh, out to be um, spoiler alert, folks. Spoiler alert. Yeah. So if you don't want to find out about this, <laughs> you know, I won't he... even say. But anyway, it turned out that uh, this villain that was taken down um, the Legion of Superheroes. It was. It turns out to be one of the the legionnaires. Yeah, on the cover of three thirty six, the last thing said, the last bubble to the right is is Chameleon Boy. He's one of us superheroes. This will destroy the legion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It didn't. Superboy's unmasking him, and, and his head is uh, covered in shadow. I think long time uh, DC fanatics will know who that who that character is. But well, you know what? For the sake of argument, we won't reveal it. But it's a great story. You're right. Yeah, yeah, and and then I, I'd say one of my favorites of all time was um, Adventure three fifty two and three fifty three, three yeah, um, with uh, Jim Shooter. Which surprise, surprise, I, I did not know. So he, I think this is sixty seven. So he was sixteen, sixteen going on seventeen. Yeah, but this to me was the ultimate, um, the best. Fatal uh, Five, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, they, the Fatal Five is there. The Legion has all, you know, a lot of their members are out taking care of other problems. Mm-hmm. And this Star Eater, or what was, what was he called? The Sun Eater, right? Sun the Sun Eater, Eater. yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's going to come and destroy our galaxy. So they don't have enough heroes there to take care of the problem. So they go and um, each... Each member that's left behind goes, runs out, and gets um, brings back, looks for lack of a better word, villain mm-hmm. um, with powers to uh, team up and try to save the galaxy. It's just it was an incredible story. And then at the end of the second um, issue, spoiler yeah. alert! <laughs> spoiler right. alert! And I'm not well. You know, it, on the cover it does say a legionnaire mm-hmm. will die. Yep, and. Um, and back then, that was that was huge. Yeah, and I, I really liked the character that they killed off. So I was. I did too. Yes. Yeah. But it was those two those two issues um, are my favorite adventure comics of all time. To be honest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I know James often plugs our our non sponsor sponsor Hoopla. I just hope these books are available there, because uh, of all the books we've mentioned so far, I think this these two, Adventure two fifty two and Adventure two fifty three. Uh, are, the, are the best of the lot we've mentioned so far uh, for sheer action yeah. and, and drama and high stakes. And, and this, this superhero that this legion that dies, he dies not only saving Superboy, but the entire galaxy. Right. So it's a real, it's a big deal. Yep. Oh, yeah. I got goosebumps. Right. Yeah. It's not. And again, it's Jim Shooter again. This, this yeah. kid is so, uh, you know, and we know what, what happens in, Oh, um, let's see again. Let's look at my flash facts. Um, Let's see. Uh, where is the Jim Shooter thing here? Yeah, well, Jim Shooter goes on to around 1979, 1980 to become the EIC editor in chief of Marvel Comics. Right. Talk, talk about a rebirth. Yeah. Wow. Marvel in the 80s, Secret Wars, The Punisher, uh, you know, the uh, Roger Stern run of Spider Man. See, we're talking about Marvel Comics. Sorry, folks. We're still going to be DC, but <laughs> it happens. Yep. But yes, no, they, they, you know, Shooter is an immense talent. And um, I would love to see him be the EIC of DC Comics right now, to say the truth. Yeah. But that's better, again, the discussion for another day. These are, these are all great books. And as, you know, as a 10 or 11-year-old, when you're reading this stuff, you're really invested in it. I know I was, and I'm sure you were. Oh, yeah. Because we hadn't been reading comic books that long that we didn't know that, you know, 
oh, Superboy's not going to die. How could Superboy, you know, if we, we could have figured it out, wait a minute, if this is Superman, Superboy can't die. Yeah. Right? You know, but even as a 10 year old, you're not, you're not, you're not too sure. Right. And if you're reading Superman and he's getting the living crap kicked out of him by the parasite, is there going to be another interaction comics? Is this the last one? You know, you, you just don't know We're, that that innocence that we had back then, uh, it just fed into this whole, this whole narrative that, that they were producing on a, on a monthly basis. You know, so we, we were hooked. They knew yep. they had us. They knew they had us. Absolutely. Just, Absolutely. just great stuff. You know what, Rich? I'll I'll I'll, talk, I'll uh, bring up that other book now, the one you mentioned before, the the world's finest book. Yeah. Because I got a few things to say about that. I just read this one this morning. I I still like this book. I don't think it holds up as well as the um the uh, the the, uh, the two books you just mentioned, the, the adventure with the comics, the Fatal Five, or the uh, first Parasite. But in this one, this is my first. I believe it's my first imaginary story uh, that I ever read. It was 1967 December. So it was probably on sale around, uh, you know, in late September, early October. So I'm about around 11, 11 and a half years old here. You know, it's like, wow. You know, Bruce Wayne gets adopted by the Kents. Yeah. And what's interesting about this story is a woman shows up at the Kent farm and says, there's a boy whose parents were killed in Gotham City and he needs a good home. And we don't know how long he's been living in, in the foster home, but uh, we, we need you to adopt him. And Martha says, oh, sure. You know, this, this might hurt. Clark's secret identity, but he, it'd be nice if he had a pal. And she says, I'll have to ask Jonathan about it. And she says, well, I'll get the papers ready. And next, the next day, he's there. So the adoption <laughs> happens in one day. See, 1960s, there was less red tape, Rich. Yes. Obviously. Yes. So that's, Obviously, yes. Well, that kind well, of stuck out when I was reading, you know, reading the comic. And, oh, really? And, Wait, well, rereading the comic. Rereading the comic, yeah. Not, no, not as, not, as, no, not as an 11-year-old. I bought into it. No, I bought into it totally. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, and, and and then you know, um, Bruce is training. He's already in training to revenge his parents, to avenge his parents. And Clark thinks that his older brother, who he's sharing, you know, sharing a house with, or his, should say his his new brother, his stopped uh, brother, is is a criminal. And they have a confrontation, which leads to um, Bruce discovering that Clark is Superboy, and they decide to team up. And another thing that's really funny about this book, Rich, is that they team up and they they give you like one page of them. As super as Superboy and Batboy protect the phone is ringing now. Can you believe that you had this happen to you and now mine? <laughs> Let it ring. I can't get up. I can't. So um, it's what's really funny is these two young world's finest heroes are protecting Smallville from all these these threats. I, I mean, how does a town of two thousand people have this much crime? Yes, <laughs> it's just amazing. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Right, well, you go. We go back to that issue I was talking about. Um, Two seventy-five. You mm -hmm. know, they're going to team up, and or or you know, Lana says, you know, you can help Superboy fight crime in Smallville, and I'm going yeah, the same thing. It's like, how much crime can there be in this small town? Exactly. It's like you know, and, and yeah. <laughs> once in a while, the writers, maybe the editor, would say, "Look, we got to, you got to send Superboy out of Smallville." You no, know, that's. I think that's why they invented the Legion of Superheroes, probably. But you know, they would they would talk about how Superboy helps or helps out around the world, right? Which is what they used to mention in the old Adventures of Superman, right? Remember that? Yeah. But we we never saw Superman stopping an earthquake in India or a tidal wave in the Far East. It would be mentioned, it's kind of, but because he was always bat battling yeah. penny any crooks and mad scientists in Metropolis. Yeah. So 
But, you know, you, again, we're, we're 12, 10, 11, 12 years old. We buy into it. That phone won't Absolutely. stop ringing. <laughs> it just rings forever. It's incredible. It's the landline, which I never use. Um, and then um, Bruce comes into his inheritance at age 21. So he moves the whole family, lock, stock, and barrel to Gotham City. So oh, Really? Yeah. Yeah, so Clark gets a job with the Gotham Gazette, and Bruce and Super Batman and Superman come afoul of Lex Luthor, who we Superman meets for the first time. He didn't apparently he was never in Smallville. Lex Luthor, I'm going to go take that phone and rip it out of the wall. <laughs> <laughs> you think they would get you know that's like 27 rings? So uh, at this point, uh, Luthor's defeated. And he he vows revenge, and through some machinations, he takes. The Kent's hostage at a, at, a, at a, like the uh, state fair or something, not knowing that they're you know the foster parents of Superman and Batman, and 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 Batman decides he's going to rescue rescue his parents because Superman's on the other side of the world, uh, yeah. uh, helping out or other side of the country that Luther set up that Superman would be out of out of Gotham City, and he throws everything at Bruce Wayne, lasers, bombs, you name it, and why won't this guy go down? Why won't this guy again? Jim Shooter with that kind of like Marvel-esque narrative, you know, the hero is, is getting beat up to a pulp, but he never gives up. He keeps getting up. And finally, Luther blows up the area where he's holding the Kents hostage. Somehow Bruce survives, but the Kents don't and they die. Right? Yeah, they die. And, and the, the, the last scene, the last page or two is Clark trying to console his brother. And he says, no, I'm giving up. I've had enough of this. I've lost two sets of parents. And he goes, you know what? You need to get away. And what does Superman do? He gets him away, right? He brings him to the 30th century. And the, <laughs> he joins yeah, the Legion? Yeah, and the last two panels are, are Batman. The, oh, the Legion has to amend their constitution to admit a non-superpowered member because you have to have one superpower to be a Legionnaire, right? Right, yeah. Yeah. Was- yeah. So they, 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 they do that. Bruce is flying around on a rocket belt. I don't know why he didn't have a flight ring. And he's battling alongside the Legion of Superheroes. And then we cut back to Metro- not Metropolis. Gotham City, and there's Superman telling the Penguin to give up as he's shooting fire at Superman from his umbrella. And that's how the story ends. Wow. And again, as an 11-year-old, I bought into it. But rereading it again this time, I was like, well, okay, this is a little hokey, but it's still a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah it sounds like a lot of fun. I, I, my, unfortunately, I pro- I'm, I'm confident I had that. Um, but uh, well, I would highly recommend it. I think you'll get a good chuckle out of it, Rich. Really I've, got, I've got to, I've got to read it again. But um, I lost all my world's finest and half my Wonder Woman collection because my W's were under um, <sighs> the type that leaked. Oh Lord! Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Water, fire, and water—the two arch enemies of of uh, comic books. Yeah, I right. mean, I, I I kept which with whichever ones, you know, were just curled, but. Uh, yeah, I can imagine. I, I, damage I lost, done, yeah. I lost a ton of them. But um, so, yeah, I think I had, uh, I think five or six issues of World's Finest survived and, um, you know, maybe 10 Wonder Woman survived. Uh, <laughs> another thing about this crazy World's Finest is that since it's an imaginary story and they, they you know, they took it in a different direction, there's no Lana Lang in Smallville. Uh, since Clark works out of the Gotham Gazette in Gotham City. There's no Lois Lane in the book. Right. No Jimmy, no Perry. And there's no Robin. Right. You know, yeah. I, I get he didn't have, you know, he didn't have time to uh, get to the Haley Circus. <laughs> so there's no there's no Robin. So it's it's, you know, and then 
DC did these imaginary stories at almost ad nauseum for the next decade into the seventies. And, you know, Oh no, not another imaginary story. And, and, yeah. and it, mostly in the Superman family of books. Right. And then they became what in the eighties, uh, Elseworlds. Is that right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. But there's some Elseworlds that are pretty good, but then, you know, what, um, let's see, Steve, I'm going to, I'm going to, what is, uh, don't go away. Oh, I'm still here. And the phone stopped ringing. <laughs> what was the, there was a, um, there was this legion of super, not, well, was Superman, Superman goes ballistic because Lois dies. Um, oh, injustice. Oh, injustice. Yeah. Yeah. What, that's, uh, what, what, what are those called? Those aren't, are those else continued else falls or do they call it something else? Well, I I know uh, that Injustice, the Injustice League, and the Injustice books have a, a tremendous cult following, and and pretty good. They they sell fairly well, and there's video games. Uh, really? There's been a couple of I think there's one. There's even been an animated movie. Uh, but yeah, the Joker uh, kills Lois. Superman goes crazy, and uh, all hell breaks loose, and uh, the world comes apart. The world falls apart in in those series. I've never read any of them to tell you the truth. I. We said this before, and I think this is a product of our of our times growing up and reading these books. But uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I don't think you're a big fan of apocalyptic stories either, right? No, no, I, you know, no. neither am I. It, it, Watchmen was good; it served its purpose, but I don't, you know, the whole deconstruction of superheroes, the nihilism, and yeah. and and the apocalyptic, uh, you know, settings. Ah, uh, just uh, it's not fun. No, no, it's not fun. And, you know, um, that was something about the Silver Age, you know, their code never to kill. And mm -hmm. um, if if an individual died, it was a big deal. You know, you, you felt the pain or whatever. And you felt yeah. the, the hero's pain because he couldn't save them in time or whatever the case was for the, uh, an individual or even a group of people. You rarely had a group of people. Now it's like... It's it's no it's so common to that you know a city dies you know I mean oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. planets go I mean to the point where you know the, what was the shock value's gone um, yeah because if you if you destroy uh, an entire universe or in this but now we have multiverses and omniverses and metaverses and inverse and I don't know transverse and whatever it's like okay well how the stakes become so ridiculously high that the humanity, I think, gets lost in the story because the characters just become a setting. They yep. just become like place cards or pawns. Yeah. And, yep. and, and, and you lose the connection to the characters. And uh, we connected with these We connected with them because we were 11, 10, 11 years old. And we were like, our jaws were dropping reading these things. It was the wow factor. But I think we also connected because the stories were so well written and so you know, beautifully drawn. For the most part, there was a couple of you know artists I didn't like. We could talk about that too, but we don't want to be negative. But yeah, that's that's why we 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 uh, I think we love these books so much. It's yes, it's nostalgia, it's our youth, but they you know yeah they're a little hokey, but they still hold up today. They're still fun reads, and I think that's what comic books should always be. Yes, a, a fun read. You know, it's because it's escapism. So on on that note, who do you who are your favorite? Um, Writers and artists of the, of the Silver Age period. Rich, you have a few that you'd like to mention? To be perfectly honest, well, artist-wise, um, Silver, you know, I, I like George Papp. Okay. Um, I liked his Superboy. Mm -hmm. um, 
obviously I like Kurt Swan. Uh, Writers, I couldn't... DC never told you who the writer was. I was, uh, you know, only in the Julie Schwartz books. Today, I was looking at. Um, I noticed Jim Shooter, and I had no idea how young he was. Besides, but I was just yeah. amazed at the, you know, the books that I pulled out and you pulled out. You know, really, they're all Jim Shooter books. Jim Shooter books. Yeah, there, there was a staple of writers there, um, and I and again we didn't notice at the time unless it was a um, uh, a Julie Schwartz book. He would tell you who was writing uh, detective comics. Not Batman, though. Batman was always signed by signed as Bob Kane, even though he wasn't on the book anymore. Right. But if if uh, detective comics was by Carmen Infantino and John Broom or Gardner Fox, you would get that. And the same thing with Green Lantern and Hawkman. Um, not the Flash. So it was even Julie Schwartz didn't do it regularly. You're right. Yeah. So it was kind of hard. I found out the names of these people on the on the letter pages. Yeah, that's yeah. how you, right. That's how you found out in those days. Yeah. Well, well, you 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 partook of the letter page yourself, though, didn't you? Oh, that wasn't until 1970. Yeah, that's James wants to do an entire episode about that. We'll see about that. <laughs> it's, it's but uh, yeah, um, I, I was a I was what you call back in the day a letter hack from 1970 to 77. I wrote them hundreds of letters, and, and they they printed a lot of them. But um, yeah, I think really we. Fun. I think uh, when I found out we had one of the issues, you had pulled it out, and then I I took it out and left it open. Um, I remember on display. that. I mentioned that to James yesterday. I did as we, as we were done because uh, yesterday we, we we did our tribute to the passing of uh, Kevin Conroy, the, the great oh. voice actor who, yeah. who just brought Batman to life for so many people for a couple of generations. Um, yeah, so. Uh, You'd find out. So I'd be reading a letter column, and a much more in the know person would say that was a very great story that uh, that Otto Binder wrote, or Leo Dorfman, or young Carrie Bates, or young Jim Shooter. And I don't know how the hell do they know from the writing style? I could pick up on the art style, but some of these these letter hacks knew from the writing style exactly who the author was. Yeah. And if they were wrong, they they would also tell them on the letter page. No, you're incorrect. It wasn't Carrie Bates. It was Jim Shooter something like that, but, uh, very interesting. And, 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 uh, but that's how you learned back in the day, letter column. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I guess I didn't read the letter columns all that often. And, um, uh, being, uh, I wanted to be an artist and, mm-hmm. um, I, without a doubt, the arts, what, um, hooked me into comics to begin with, I think. Um, and, uh, I was, I was enamored with that. And so I, I can look at, I think I even had a, um, one of our games at uh, Mint was, uh, you know, name the artist mm-hmm. and uh, the early ons, because, you know, when, when they first start, a lot of them style changes as time goes on. Oh yeah. Kurt Swan, Kurt Swan, got some, again, my flashbacks here, uh, you know, his first, um, he was self-taught and he, he, he was basically, uh, his first ongoing series was Boy Commandos. He replaced Jack Kirby on that. And I have looked at some of those things online, some of those stories. You'd swear to God that was still Jack Kirby. He was doing Kirby's style because right. that was, that sold. Yeah. Why wouldn't you do that? And then he moved on to Tommy Tomorrow and Gangbusters. And then in the, uh, late forties, early fifties, he got a gig on Superman. And then his big break was Jimmy Olsen, number one, 1954. And he basically drew every every story of Jimmy Olsen, every you know, three issues, three stories an issue, 
and then he moved on to Superman action, did some Lois Lane, did the Legion, as you said. He did he did uh, uh, World's Finest. He was very prolific. Oh yeah, Kurt Swan. Yeah, but so I now you just mentioned you're an artist, and I know that for a fact. I've got some of your artwork, and I, I treasure it. Um, so let's see um, if you could go back in time to the to the '60s, the Silver Age, and you could get a job penciling for DC Comics. What character or characters would you like to tackle? Huh. Well, uh, chances are I would probably love to do the Legion of Superheroes. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, although you know, I'm I'm not like uh, George Perez, who you know seemed to not have a problem with drawing uh, hundreds of characters and the backgrounds that, yeah. and all that stuff. I I tend to try to be on the simpler side, so. Um, you know, Superman, Batman. Uh, well, believe it or not, I was a, a big Challengers of the Unknown fan, Ooh, and yes. I really enjoy. I, I like their um, yellow and red um, costumes. So, the later ones, right? Because the, the the early ones were like a, a dark purple, pink, right? Purple. Yeah, yeah. they were purple. Um, Just yeah. a jumpsuit. Yeah, jumpsuit. Yeah, it was nothing special. But then they had those cut off sleeves with the red bands on there, and I don't know. It just made their shoulders look broader and. Yeah, they, they 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 made them look more, you know, uh, you know, uh, heroic. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah. Those those are the, the I, Legion of Superheroes probably be number one. Superman. I, I actually um, I wrote uh, a two issue um, Supergirl story with a character that um, I had created. Oh. So that that's sitting in the basement somewhere. I'm pretty proud of the result, but I never. Never really showed anybody. Um, well, when did you do this story? Recently or were you younger? No, no, no. I did this probably, I'm going to say 70, somewhere between 76 and 80. Okay. I, I you know, I'll, I'll admit here in, in, in the public that I wrote and drew my own comic books in the, in the 60s and 70s. And, uh, you know, I just, my artwork compared to yours looks like stick figures. But I, I did a run of my Justice League where I kind of like, you know, the people I want in the Justice League. And I threw a whole bunch of people out and only kept like Superman and Batman. And I think Black Canary and, oh, yeah. and Green Arrow and everybody else. Get the hell out. <laughs> and I, I I reprogrammed Brainiac and made him a member. Oh. I, uh, yeah, right. It's what the hell. You know, again, you know, uh, Superman always had Brainiac at his at his mercy at the end of an adventure. Why not just reprogram the guy? Yeah. We know you can do it. You showed all that, that expertise as Superboy. So I had uh, Captain Action. I brought him back, but I couldn't draw the hat, Rich, so I got rid of the hat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I could draw the hat either. And I and I brought in the elongated man before the DC Comics ever did because uh, I liked him and I liked the whole stretchy thing. And a couple of the characters, I, you know, I, oh, oh, the Creeper. I made a Creeper a member of the Justice League too. Oh, nice. I, I still love drawing that that. Whatever he wore around his, his shoulders and neck, I just that 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 Steve Ditko creep artwork was so great. Yeah. So yeah. that was my Justice League. Yeah. The, I had to keep Green Arrow. I, I forced myself to learn how to draw Green Arrow's hat though, because so, you can't do Green Arrow without the, without the Robin Hood hat with right. the feather in it, right? Yeah. Yep, so yep, yep. that I did. I just would sit down and look at the, um, you know, whoever the, oh, well Neil Adams, I guess, right? And okay, I can, I can do this. I can do this. Oh, but, so you're uh, yeah into into the Neil Adams days. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Neil Adams had such a tremendous Neil Adams and Denny O'Neill had such a tremendous effect on on me and uh, my writing. If you, I don't know if you've read any of these intros that I do, you know the show notes. 
Yes, I, I, I love it. I love thank it. you, but but you you do realize that I'm aping Stan Lee, right? I mean, <laughs> and you know what? No, it's you're, you're it's old Joe. <laughs> yeah, it's well, yeah. I know, I know where I know where. Well, that uh, imitation is the greatest form cool. of uh, flattery or whatever. That. Uh, yeah, I'll say it for you. There's a lot of bull in Joe, and of course, there's a lot of bull in Stan Lee. But that's what made him so successful. He was the ultimate huckster, the ultimate pitchman. Oh, yeah. And, and that's the one thing DC didn't have. Infantino was buttoned down and he got things done. But it wasn't until uh, Adams and O'Neill really came along and, and kicked DC in the pants and, 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 you know, dragged them kicking and screaming into the, into the quote unquote Bronze Age. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, there's a lot, a lot going on at the end of the 60s that uh, was, uh, very, very interesting. Probably a lot of politics involved too, office politics. But because um, some guys didn't come back, they they retired. I guess they would. They you know your services are no longer uh, required. But uh, yeah, that was a lot of changes at the end of the sixties of DC yeah. Comics. Yeah. Well, you had. Um, you also had uh, Kirby coming over to. Uh, Mo- uh, oh my God! Yeah, Jack that Kirby. Was, that was yeah. A, that was that was a big big deal. I just recently read Rich said that he wanted to do that fourth world saga for Marvel. And he was planting seeds in the Thor books and possibly even in the fantastic four. And he was going to, he was going to have Ragnarok happen, but it wouldn't destroy the earth obviously, but it would destroy the Norse gods. And then the new gods would, would appear of course, along with apocalypse. And um, apparently Stan or maybe Roy, because Roy was ascending to uh, editorship at the time, uh, did not go for that. Maybe Martin Goodman, the, the publisher, didn't go for it. And he took his toys and his bat and ball and left. And, uh, you know, DC gave him one of those, um, you know, Robinson Cano contracts. <laughs> and uh, so he left and, uh, and he came. And he, and he, and, but he, when he got to DC, they said, okay, you can do these books you want to do, but you got to do something with Jimmy Olsen. That's the dog, and that book is not selling. So they saddled him with Jimmy Olsen. But I've been re- rereading those stories. Yeah. Wow. I, maybe Jack was doing something when he was writing those stories because they are really strange and weird. But they're, they're a lot of fun, too. But they were a lot of fun. I, you know, I, uh, back when, I, when, when they first came out, I was, I was all into that. I really was. I can't tell you one thing about it. I'd have to reread. Um, but, uh, Kirby on Jimmy Olsen was like, you know, it's like, you, you, like you said, they, they wanted him to bring back, uh, well, make Jimmy Olsen something special, but I mean, come on, <laughs> he's well, a secondary character with his own. Back, yeah. I mean, back in the late fifties and early sixties, I mentioned this before to go along with Superman and Superboy, the three top selling comics that DC had, and I think they were the three top selling comic books or the in the top five because Archie comics was probably number three or four or two, whatever, uh, was Superman, Superboy and, and rich, believe it or not, Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane would sell in excess of a half a million copies at that time. And Jimmy Olsen wasn't lagging far behind. I'm not surprised, but you know, who wasn't selling at the time, Batman, they couldn't give Batman away back then. And really? you know, if you go back and look at the silver age Batman before they, they gave it to, um, Julie Schwartz and he brought in uh, Carmen Infantino. I mean, the artwork was terrible. It was very childish and, you know, uh, awful. Sheldon Moldorf, I think, was doing most of it. So, um, but it, see, I could copy him. He was real simple. 
Yeah, he was very simple. Yeah, I copied him too as a kid. Like, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't, co I tried to copy uh, uh, Carmen Infantino, but oh, that was just and, oh, and no. Neil Adams. Forget about it. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, the, the Superman family of books were gigantic sellers in in the 50s and, and early to mid 60s. And then, you know, Marvel caught on and started overtaking him, and DC had a pivot. And uh, the na names you've mentioned already were the, the guys that, that said, hey, you know, you guys better better wake up, or you're going to get left behind. So, um, I uh, we're going to wrap this up soon. But uh, before we do that, uh, I I should have warned you about this, but you know about this, right? Uh, recommendations? Do you have any recommendations, Rich? <laughs> um, well, actually, a, a thought came to mind. Um, the uh, first uh, Teen Titans from the Silver. Ah, well, we did talk about the Teen Titans, yeah. You know, I mean that, and I know that. Uh, later on, they were uh, when, when George Perez was um, one of the creators of that. Um, it was it was challenging X Men. Yes, yes, it was. Um, I, I think I got into it with Arco about that in one episode of the yeah, podcast. I remember hearing. You remember that? Yeah. Yes, yes. That's why I was bringing it up. But um, yes, you know, back. Oh, I don't want to. I don't remember what episode that was, Rich, but I know we got we kind of got into it. Yeah. yeah, but I'm talking about this this series that was out in the '60s with um, uh, the artist. He's he's one that I really love, and and I'm having a senior moment. An he artist from the Aquaman, 60s? and he did Nick Cardi. Nick Cardi. Yeah, what? I love Nick Cardi. Oh my god! Way. Anything he drew, I had to have. Um, oh, and Batlash. Uh, mm -hmm. But Aquaman, the Teen Aquaman, Titans. I mean, right, yeah. Now, who were you? Who, okay, because I, I, like I said, I didn't know writers from anything. Who was writing Teen Titans at the time? Uh, Bob Haney was writing Teen Titans and Aquaman for, for Nick Cardi. Yeah. And, 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 and I mean, those were good stories. And then who was still, right. who did Batlash? Um, uh, Denny O'Neill. Okay. Ah, there mm -hmm. you go. Yeah. That's why. Right. I mean, th those are amazing books. Um, so I highly recommend, that would be my recommendation for a Silver Age is um, Teen Titans and um, Batlash. Okay. Those are great. Those are great recommendations. Yes. Batlash. Um, it's unfortunate that, that Western comics didn't survive, uh, right. you know, well, they kind of did over at Marvel, but they were, they were disappearing by the sixties with DC. And you know, as, we got, as we got to the end of the sixties, all we had really was, and thank God we had Jonah Hex. Right. In around 1972. I, that's one of my favorite comic books of all time. My recommendations, same thing, Rich. I would recommend, again, to our, our listeners, if you can find these things on, on, uh, on the uh, non-sponsor sponsor Hoopla, uh, just check out um, these books we've talked about in, in particular. Uh, but give a, do a deep dive into the Legion of Superheroes, if you can. Yeah. I know, I know Jack is listening, and, and uh, Jack's a big uh, uh, Legion of Superheroes fan. And the one thing about the Legion, and you brought this up before, when they were fighting the um, the Sun Eater, uh, they had to go out and recruit villains because it wasn't the Legion was spread around. Twenty six members, but they didn't try to cram all of them into one adventure. Every issue or every other issue, you'd have five or six different Legionnaires participating. And it's today they try to put all the members of a group into every issue, and it's like they're tripping each over each other. So yes. that's not the way they did it in the Legion or the Justice League in the day. So yeah, folks, if you can find these these Legion of Superhero stories, uh, the ones we talked about, written by Jim Shooter, penciled by um, 
Kurt Swan. I would highly recommend those. I would recommend um, the Superman in action and Superman comics. And in detective comics in particular, the Batman stories penciled by Carmine Infantino, who, um, you know, uh, basically was trying to shed the whole campiness of the Adam West era that right. struck DC comics and Batman in general, in particular in the mid sixties. And, uh, you know, Carmen was doing his best to, to get away from that. So those are, those are great books. And again, this is a great era of comics. Uh, I know in a future episode, we're going to, we're going to, uh, uh, come back to the silver age and, and we'll, we'll talk about it from the Marvel end, but yeah. for now, uh, you know, uh, Rich, any, any closing comments besides recommendations? Uh, closing comments. Well, yeah. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, you're quite, you're welcome. Uh, thanks it was, it's great to uh, talk time. with you and, um, hopefully everybody out there, um, enjoyed this, uh, episode and, um, you know, spark a little interest in the silver yes, age. Yes. In the silver age of comics. Yes. Uh, don't, don't be, uh, you know, don't believe what you hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. They're fun comic books to check your brain at the door. And, uh, I promise you, you'll have a good time. Um, and if you would like to uh, retort to anything that Rich and I have said, if you want to agree with us, as you think we're out of our minds, that we're just a couple of uh, seasoned comic book vets who are reliving the past too much, <laughs> well, you can reach us on our Facebook page and, uh, and also through Instagram. And we would love to have your, uh, your, uh, your opinions uh, thrown our way. Uh, we'd love to, to, uh, to like us on Facebook. It helps the, it helps the channel. And uh, we, we do this out of love and respect for all these great men and women that, that produced these comic books back in that bygone era. And um, so this is Joe uh, signing off for today. And Rich, once again, thank you for, for being my co-host and, and getting me through this. So thanks again, Rich. <laughs> it, was, it was really uh, great. Thank you right. so much again for uh, inviting me. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Yes, we will. Thanks again, folks.